band. Uh, good evening, Riverside. Good evening. Yo, you guys are really responsive. I love you guys. Um, so we're in the fourth week of our, and the final week of our series, The Invisible God, and we've walked a journey, and we spoke around the discipline of gratitude, the discipline of simplicity, the discipline of reflection, and now we're moving into the final one, the discipline of celebration. It's almost weird, like discipline and celebration, those two words shouldn't go together, uh, but they do. So I'm going to pray before we get started, and then we're going to jump into this. So why don't you bow your heads with me? Father, thank you so much that we can gather into this place and that we can celebrate you together as as one body, as a community. So we just pray um, as as I speak today, Lord, that it would be your words and not mine, and that that everyone who is sitting here would be able to take something from this today, that you would reveal something to them in their hearts that you want them to, to really focus on for the next year. So we thank you and we pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. So last year, July, I got the incredible privilege of visiting the country of Zimbabwe. And my friend was turning 21 years old, and he said, hey, Dil, do you want to come to my 21st? I was like, sure. Where is it going to be? Zimbabwe. Cool, I'm in. Like, I'm going, I'm going to go visit another country. So he, he invites us over, and we go through to Zimbabwe. Now, he's had this whole trip planned out for us. Uh, and the first week of Zimbabwe where we got to go was a place called Lake Kariba. Now, if you've been to Lake Kariba, you might have heard of it with the red frogs go there. But this place is in between Zimbabwe and Zambia, and it is massive. It is so big in some places that when you look across, you can't see the other side. It's like a mini ocean. And we had the incredible privilege of staying on a houseboat for seven days. Um, it'll pop up on the screen. I got to, to live on this thing for seven days. I got to sleep outside with mosquito nets covering me and um, to the beautiful sound of hippos making love in the, ocean, in the, in the lake. I really, it was, yeah. Uh, there were wild crocodiles around there. Um, I mean, you don't get tame crocodiles, but there were wild crocodiles as well. <laughs> And uh, it was fun. I had such a good time. I actually also learned a bit how to fish there. I was like, okay, I'm going to take off the hat of fishermen of men. I'm going to learn to fish for actual fish. And uh, I caught a few, and I was stoked with life. And then the holiday was good, that first half. A few days later, we unfortunately had to leave Lake Kariva. We could get back to the real world. Well, my friend said, no, wait, we're going somewhere else now. I'm like, oh, my gosh, where else could you take me? And he takes me to a place called Mana Pools. Now, if you've heard of Mana Pools or you haven't, it's this massive game reserve in the middle of Zimbabwe. We had to travel another four to five hours to get to it. And it's not like a game reserve that we find here in South Africa. The only common thing is probably the, the terrain and the fact that they have animals. But we go there, and uh, I was like, cool, where are we staying? He's like, no, we're taking our own tent. I was like, okay, that's fine. Um, so I found out that this place is not the same as other game reserves. There was no fancy tent made for me with a double, with a king-size bed, with a bath. I can look at the warthogs running around. Like none, of, none of that stuff. No, we would pitch our own tents with no fence around us, no guards to look after us, and uh, we would just camp in the wild. Okay, cool, bro, I'm in. Next to the, we were next to a riverbed. There were stories known uh, to be told that hippos would come out and just walk through the campsite. I was like, whatever, until I saw it. <laughs> hippos walking across. The one day, it was incredible. We actually had elephants walk through our campsite. I'll show, it'll come on the screen there. There's a, 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 like a teenage elephant. I don't know how my friend knew it was a teenager, but it was a teenager. And they were going around looking for food and fruit. And um, I'd never, been so, I'd never ne- been so excited and so scared at the same time that I needed the bathroom in one go. Like, I, I don't know what was going to happen to me in that moment. So I took a photo so that I could tell you guys about it one day. Um, but the one thing that I, that I really enjoyed about this, uh, this, this place, Mana Pools, is that I got to, we got to go on game drives every day, but not, I didn't have to pay to go on a game drive with a, game, uh, with a tour guide. I, we got to go in the comfort of our own car, and then 
for some reason in Zimbabwe, in the smaller pools, they say you can get out the car in the game reserve. So I was like, okay, that's interesting. Uh, so what do we do? We got out the car so we could get closer to take photos. My one friend was out with their camera, like there were lions mating, like, it, like it's unheard of that, that you see that. So we were just taking photos of lions mating. <laughs> I don't know how I didn't die in Zimbabwe, because like, like, I just had wild animals surrounding me everywhere. But the one morning um, would really change my life. It would really impact me to the very day as to when I'm standing here. We went out, and we decided, hey, since we can get out the car, we're going to have a picnic. And uh, we found this little spot with a dried-up lake, and uh, there were baboons surrounding us. Not like aggressively, they were just hanging out. And um, we had a picnic. And as we were having the picnic, I was walking, and um, I stood in this little ditch, and um, I rolled my foot, and, then, and I had injured it. I had damaged my foot. And... I knew what injury was. I thought, like, okay, I just sprained my ankle. For some reason, we had ice there. I put ice on my foot. I'm like, I can, I can, I can hand. Oh, gosh. Um, yeah, you can. I forgot I sent the photo in. Um, I put ice. I was ready. Like, I was going to make sure I was fine for the rest of this trip. For the rest of the trip, I was actually, I was still sore. I was injured. Got back to South Africa only to find out that I picked up a unique kind of injury. And, like, if you know me, I pick up only unique injuries. Like, I don't pick up your common ones. Okay. Um, so what happened was I tore, this, these two things aren't unique, I tore something called a spring ligament in my foot, so it runs under your foot and it helps your foot um, absorb the pressure uh, when you're on the floor. So I tore that, and then I tore my tendon that runs from my foot and it like runs up my leg. I tore that as well, not the whole way, just by my foot. And then I found out, Dill, you were actually born with an extra bone. So I was like, what? <laughs> yeah, it's actually your, your tendon that needs to get healed is lodged between your foot and this extra bone. And I'm like, all oh, right, so I'm a mutant. Like, I'm cool. I'm part of the excellent. <laughs> I wish I, I said that then, but I, 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 I picked up this unique injury. And I'll be honest with you, it wasn't, it, it, this injury plagued me for a few months, like almost to a year. Um, and I, I was miserable. I, I was so miserable um, during this time. It was sore. I didn't, know, I didn't know what to expect. I'd had injuries before, but there was something that, this one was different. It was something that I'd never experienced before. Now, why it was so much harder was because I would proceed to go see different uh, medical practitioners, and what happened was I got misdiagnosed quite a few times, and that, and that was quite frustrating. And it ended up, what would happen is I would spend money and resource and time, and now I would never be able to get this back, and, it, and I still didn't know what was wrong. So that became frustrating. I got caught into that, and I became really upset with life. I didn't care about anything else. I, I didn't know if I would ever walk again, I didn't know if, I don't know why this is making noise. Um, I, I, I didn't know if I would walk again. I didn't know if, if the doctors would ever figure out what's wrong. I didn't know if I would ever just be able to simply walk on the beach sand without, finding, without feeling pain in my foot. Like, that's the space that I was in. And it started leading me to a place where I started to question God and His goodness. I started to say, hey, God, where the heck are you? You seem quite invisible to me in this present time. Where are you? And then I started even going further. I started believing different lies that the enemy just came in and started planting in my head. You know, like the enemy does it, hey, when you're already down, you feel like he just comes and he makes it worse, hey? I started believing lies like this. I would say to God, I'd actually look at him, I'd point at him because I feel more aggressive that way, and I'd say, <laughs> you don't care about me. Like, you don't care. If you'd cared, you would make sure that I didn't get in the spot in the first place. You would have filled that ditch. I would have walked across it like Jesus walked on water. I would have been fine. <laughs> also, you're actually 
you seem quite cruel. You, in this very auditorium, people prayed for me and my knee was healed after eight months of pain. And I was like, God, you've healed me before. Why on earth would you not heal me again? Like, I've seen your power. How dare you? I was questioning God, how dare you? The other one was, you're letting me suffer. Man, like, don't we all do that? Hey, God, why are you letting me suffer? I was like, there's already so much suffering in the world. Why would you want me to suffer now? Like, I'm your child. Don't you love me? Why would you want your child to suffer? And then the other one was, you just, I just don't feel like you're there the way that you used to be for me when I was in pain. This time, you just seem like you're gone. And I wonder how many of us are sitting here today with that injured foot scenario or circumstance where God feels like he's invisible and he's just abandoned us. And for you, that foot injury moment or circumstance may look like a painful divorce that you're walking through at the moment or you have already. Maybe it's you really hate your job. You hate every moment of being there. Maybe it's your school. You're being bullied. You don't want to be there anymore. People are horrible to you. Or maybe it's just you can't, um, sorry, I, I had a great example and I forgot. Maybe, you, maybe, maybe you're feeling lonely. Maybe you've, your friends have left to another country or maybe people have just broken away from you and you're feeling lonely and you're feeling the pain, the emotional pain behind that. Whatever, whatever it is, it makes us miserable. We become miserable with God and he feels invisible in this time. Now at the end of the day, when I, the pain that I was feeling was real. It, it wasn't going away, and God felt invisible to me. Those things were very real for me. But there was something much deeper, it rooted deep down, that I needed to deal with that wasn't the case of me asking God, where are you? So a few months into my injury, uh, my lovely girlfriend, uh, she decided she would have a lovingly hard conversation with me. And because she was seeing, essentially, she was seeing everything that was going on around. She was seeing the way that I was acting, the, the pain that I was feeling, but she was also seeing what was going on inside my heart. And let me tell you something. I, I, I can't tell you how miserable I was. Like, I was like an infectious virus, just everywhere dampening everyone's spirit. So thank you for being the brave one to call me out. Um, but in the process, it, like, it led her to call me out on something that I feel would, ch- would change the trajectory of the way that I would think going forward. And this is what she said to me. She said, Dill, in your tough moments where God seems invisible, like your foot injury, I became so focused on the issue I'm fa- I became so fo- focused on this issue that I'm facing that everything and everyone around you gets hurt or cast aside in the process. I'd become so focused on my, on my injury that I was driven and I was motivated to do things that only had to do with my foot getting better. I became result-driven. And nothing else in the world mattered except this foot being healed. Now, she's still really great, and she didn't let me leave me off with that. She just she helped me to process a bit more, and what, what could I do? And then she said something else that would shift a lot for me. And I may be paraphrasing how I perceive this or how I receive this from her, but she essentially said to me that I cannot, choo- I cannot only choose to celebrate God when my foot is better. Because what happens if your foot never got better? And I sat there, that was a tough pill to swallow, and it hit me like a ton of bricks. Because what if my foot never ever got better? Would I celebrate God? I was asking these questions. She then proceeded to say to me, hey, Dill, you need, you, need you need to celebrate God just because He's worthy. 
And then you must celebrate what he is doing in your life and what he has done in your life, all the worthy things that he has done. I need to celebrate him regardless of my circumstance. So over the last year, I've been attempting this discipline of celebration. I must admit, I'm not really good at it, but I feel like I've grown a few percentages. Um, And I want to share three things that I'm currently learning that I'm trying to practice, which has helped God become a bit more visible to me in the process. Um, So the first one, the first thing that I feel like I'm learning and, and I haven't learned it properly yet is that celebration requires hindsight. It needs hindsight. So when I was 18, I was doing my, drive, my driving lessons to, to go do my driver's license. And um, my driving instructor, she was teaching me a whole bunch of tricks and tips like of how I could pass my exam. Like, you know, you get like those driving in, like, schools that teach you all the correct things. Then you get those that give you like side deals. Not like money, but like tips. Like if you do this, they'll, they'll pass you. Like I'm from the bluff, so I got like best of both in this one thing. <laughs> And she was teaching me, uh, she told me one specific thing. Oh, I think she was actually, first of all, she was teaching me these things, not to, um, to pass my exam, but because if I did pass my exam, that I wouldn't kill anybody on the road, that I would actually be a good driver. But there was one particular principle or tip that she taught me that I cannot uh, shake, that it's always stayed with me and a habit has formed from it. She said to me, Dill, uh, for every four to seven seconds, you should look in your rearview mirror. And I was like, all right. Um, I feel like if I'm forever looking in my rearview mirror, I'm going to crash. But okay, I'll do it. And I did it. And she said, if you do this, um, you'll be able to navigate where you're going forward if you know what's coming behind you. You know what to expect. And there's many times where this rearview mirror, looking back every four to seven seconds, has probably saved my life. Uh, I don't know about you, when you're driving on the freeway, and then you're in the fast lane, and you're going the speed limit, right? And then this chop comes behind you, eh? And you're just driving, minding your own business, like Dill's listening to podcasts, I'm getting into it, worship, all the things. This oak comes up behind me, and I look in my rearview mirror, and I see something's going to happen, something bad's going to happen. And, and luckily for me, I look, I can assess the situation, I can look forward, there's a gap there, I can go left. So I go left. And I avoid something that could have really hurt me, and I've saved a lot of money. Sorry, I just need water. I've been told that my mouth gets dry after last week, so now I need to practice drinking this. Okay, I'm back. Um, So it's so important that we look back. And I love what Psalm 143 verse 5 says. It says this, I remember the days of long ago. I meditate on all your works and consider what your hands have done. What a beautiful psalm. I remember when, when Ash and I were having this, uh, this, this conversation that I was talking about earlier. She, she inc- continued to encourage me. Uh, encouraged me about something. She said, hey, Dill, I believe that you should remember all the times where God showed up. You need to remember when he was visible in your life, when he pulled through for you. And at that moment, I was like, Joel, don't tell me that now. Like, I just want you to be mad with me and tell me that, like, God just doesn't care about me. Like, that's all I wanted. But no, she, she loves me a lot and didn't want me to stay in that place. So I would carry on and I would go, okay, how can I do this? So I was like, all right, I'm going to go look at my journals. I'm going to go check when I, when I journal things. So I went and I looked and there were prayers that I had written. And I was like, wow, God, you answered this. You were visible. Boom, checked it off. And I would start looking at the prayers that were answered. Then I would start looking at all the memories where the moments where God appeared. Like a, there's a few that I can remember. The knee thing that I was just telling you about. Man, I was injured for eight months. People prayed for me right, sitting in that spot there. Woke up the next day, boom, healed. I was like, all right, that was great. I'm so stoked. I can run again. I can do all the things. God is so good. Celebrated God. 
Then the, the next one is, I, was supposed, I wanted to, to do my honors here, and I needed a bursary, and the, the varsity were like, no, we can't give you a bursary. And I, I don't know why. And then they, I'm like, oh, okay, what am I going to do now, God? Now I'm sitting in church. Ironically, I'm sitting in church, and I get this SMS, and the varsity is like, yeah, we want, like, you have received a bursary. And I was like, how? Like, I got a bursary. What a, what a cool opportunity God pulled through there as well. And then the other one was, um, was my opportunity to come and work for this organization. And, 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 I mean, I felt called to ministry. I rashed grace nonstop that they would take me in as an intern. And I feel like God probably kicked the door down with me. And eventually they took me on. And, uh, and now I have the great privilege of being here because there was no way that I could have gone by myself. And after looking at all these things, I'm like, man, God, you, you really did pull through. You were so visible. And I believe, friends, when we choose to look in the rearview mirror of life, we truly see God. We see God, and He becomes a little bit more visible every single time we look back four to seven seconds. The second thing that I'm learning in this practice of celebration is I need to celebrate the small things. Wow, how guilty are we of always only wanting to celebrate the big things? I know I am. Like, it's easy to celebrate the big things. When there's a wedding, easy. You know you're going to have a good time. Easy to celebrate, right? Birthdays, if it's a good birthday party, easy to celebrate. You want to celebrate the person, you want to have a good time with your friends. Anniversaries, well then, you made it. Celebrate, hey? The other one, sports victories. Could you imagine the Springboks were driving on their parade, on their bus, puffing a speedo, holding the trophy, and no one was there. Like, no one was celebrating. Like, how awkward, hey? Just standing there in your speedo on a bus. Like, super awkward. <laughs> I'm trying to picture it now. I could say. <laughs> but, but what isn't easy is celebrating the small things. Things like, hey, um, you get on this eating plan and you want to really lose some weight and you want to get healthy, and after two months you only lose one kg. You don't celebrate that. The other one, hey, maybe you studied really... <laughs> <laughs> Maybe, maybe you said it. <laughs> maybe, maybe we, maybe it was an exam you were studying for and you only ended up getting like a D or a C and you really put your whole heart into it and you don't end up celebrating that. Or maybe you, you, you've taken control back and you've set a, a boundary that people cannot cross over and for once the person doesn't cross over but you don't celebrate that. How often do we, do we miss these small moments and we want to celebrate the big things? Because I know if there any of those circumstances, I want to lose five kgs in one week. Like I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do anything to lose that weight. Or if I'm going to study, I'm getting 110%. Like I'm going to work that hard. Lecture, you will give me extra. I'll do anything. Or when we set up this boundary, we, we get so bummed because we don't, we don't, we're not in the place where we want to be. We think, hey, I wish I could, this boundary would be so in place that when people come to it, I don't upset them or I don't offend them, that they know that this, who, this is who I am now. And when I was injured, I became so consumed with the result of my foot being better. Like I wanted the healed moment. I wanted the healing of my foot moment. And because of that, I started, I created this, I made this subconscious decision that I would only choose to celebrate God when my foot was better. I would only celebrate God over there, not here, not in this moment. And the problem with that was, is that it became about the end result, it became about the victory, it became about the big thing. And I believed, like I said, he was only worth celebrating when I got the desired outcome um, that I wanted. And this was a problem, it really was. And in our conversation, this was a very long conversation between Ash and I, um, she reminded me not only 
Do I need to look, uh, look for God and when he was visible in all the previous circumstances that I struggled with? No, I needed to look at him in the season and the circumstance that I was currently in. I needed to look at where he had orchestrated all the little steps along the way. And one of these moments, there was one moment that I really, really remember, and I want to tell you this. It, it was, I needed to wear a moon boot. I needed to find a moon boot for my foot. That's how sore it was. Now, if you don't know what a moon boot is, it's basically a, a shoe, uh, like a shoe, a big gray shoe that makes you look like an astronaut, like half an astronaut walking on Earth, right? And um, a few things. I never owned a moon boot. I never hurt myself to this extent. And I wasn't going to buy one because they were super expensive. And I was trying to hire one, and the closest place was Maritzburg, and no one goes to Maritzburg, so I wasn't going there. Um, joking. I was going to go, but it was over the Christmas. I had someone come today. He's like, I'm from Maritzburg. I was like, oh, what a beautiful city. Like, love it. Um, and so I did, I did only what I knew, and I posted, I posted online, and I said, hey, does anyone potentially have a moon boot that they could lend me because I'm really struggling with my foot? So a few hours later, I get a message from a friend, and a friend says to me, hey, my friend's got a moon boot in your size, like perfect for you. He really wants to lend it to you. So I was like, great, bring it through. He brings it through, and I, I was so grateful. I, I, I thanked him. I was appreciative. Um, but I didn't really celebrate in that moment because I told myself, okay, cool, I'm on, I'm on the journey now to getting to my celebration moment, to getting to the place where my foot is healed. So I'm, I didn't celebrate there. And I really wish I did stop for a moment and celebrate God because the moon boot would become a significant moment in my recovery journey. It would speed up the, and my ability to be able to walk sooner. And honestly, let's, let's be real, it's not every day that someone has a moon boot in your size just lying around the house and nice enough to lend it to you. Like, it had to be God. Like, God had to have provided this moon boot for me. And I think to myself, and I, I wonder what it what would have happened if I chose to actually slow down in the busyness of everything and celebrate what God had done in this place. And as I was reflecting, I believe if I had chosen to celebrate God with my whole heart, like authentically, I'd have focused less on the desired outcome, the desire for my foot to be better, and I would have focused more on who He was just because He was worthy. I would have shifted to that space. And I would have probably discovered a truth much sooner that God did actually care about me. I love what, the, what Psalm 77, verse 11 to 12 says. It's quite similar. It says, I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your miracles of long ago. I will consider all your works and meditate on all your mighty deeds. When we celebrate, friends, we, we need to celebrate God for everything he does, for the big and for the small. And when we do, we begin to see that he becomes visible to us again. We begin to attribute every single moment to him, that he was orchestrating every step of the process. So we just need to slow down, believe that not everything is happening by coincidence and by chance, and that God is actually moving, and we need to celebrate everything that he's doing. The third thing uh, that I'm learning and that I really love, because this, is a, this one, I think, goes beyond who we are as an individual. And I believe that celebration invites curiosity. Now, when we're celebrating, it's the one, I think, out of all the practices, it's the one place where when you're celebrating within a, and it's affecting you directly, it's also affecting the people around you. I really do. Um, I mean, think about this. Um, when you're driving 
out of your house. Like you, you've just, you, you forgot dinner for some reason. You leave your house like, I'm just going to run down and get a takeaway. So you drive out your, your gates and you, you, you need to go around, but you see a whole bunch of cars parked everywhere and people on your verge and you see a big marquee going on in the yard with music and, and everything. And you're like, hmm, I'm going to go this way. So you go that way. But you don't speed pass. You pretend there's speed humps every meter, and you slow down, and you're almost like looking and trying to find out what's going in. Who does? I do that. No? I was going to say, because if I'm the only one, you'll know exactly who's driving slow past your house. But I slow down because I'm so curious. When people are celebrating, I become so curious as to what is happening. And friends, I believe that's why our, our testimonies are so important. I mean, we heard one with Kieran just now speaking about red frogs. But our testimonies are so, are so important and they're so transformational because it reflects on God's goodness on our life and how he changed our heart and brought us from one place to another. It creates an opportunity. Our testimony creates an opportunity for people to see Jesus and how he transforms our lives. He gets to see, we, people get to see God visible. They get to see it through our story. And I want to tell you something about red frogs. Um, when we do our red frogs training, so they come for like a whole day intensive training on how to do things and make sure that, that uh, they can medically, not medically help, but all these different things. And the one section that we spend quite a bit of time on is the uh, evangelism side. And we don't really use the word evangelism too much because it scares people for some reason. So we say, hey, share your story. We encourage red frogs to share the story of how Jesus transformed their lives. So now, when you go out into these environments, like Splashy Fair, like that place is wild and to rage, I, I, I'm in, I'm in a, a privileged position in the, in the frogs thing where I get to step back and I actually get to watch everything that's going on. And I see red frog after red frog having these deep, meaningful conversations with people because we don't do it for the pancakes. We do it because we want to build authentic relationships with these guys. Now, I get to see these people having conversations. And, and quite often, like a matric or a, a festival girl will just walk up to them and be like, why are you doing this? Okay, well, we are a support network, like we love people, we want to make sure that you party safe, and they're like, okay, really, why are you doing this? And then, it doesn't always get to that, then people say, well, I heard about it at my church, and then you start getting into conversation about church, and they say, oh, so you believe in God? Um, well, yeah, I kind of do, I, I believe in God, oh, kind of, I believe in God, yes, we, we do. So then they start asking more questions, it starts inviting curiosity, and then they say, well, what, why do you believe in Jesus? And then I just see, like, inside, like, this red frog start bubbling and getting so excited, and they're trying to control their face so they don't freak out the person in front of them, because <laughs> they just want to, they get to share their story of what Jesus has done in their life, and, and, I've, and, and they end up telling these people the story of how Jesus set them free, how some of them were like, hey, I was addicted to drugs, and I met Jesus, and it just changed my life around. And now I'm here serving people who are on drugs. And then there's people here, I was addicted to porn, and it, and it shifted my, uh, Jesus transformed my heart, and now I'm no longer, I want to love people, I want to I help people break free of that. There's so many different stories at Red Frogs, and these people get to share it. And what happens is some of the people, listen, they really engage. And like the same way with Kieran, uh, when those guys engage, well, that guy engaged. And what happens is when they're having these conversations about Jesus, God becomes a little bit more visible, not only to us, but to them. Because you may be the first time they're actually getting to encounter Jesus. And we have story after story after story like that, where red frogs have shared. They didn't have to know scripture. They didn't have to know, um, they didn't have, yeah, they didn't have to know the Bible back to front. They didn't have to be a pastor. All they knew, Jesus did this for me. It transformed me. The experience that he has given me, I want to follow him for the rest of my life. And people are drawn to that. And it inspires them. 
And Riverside, I just want to say one thing, just a side note. If you're ever scared to share your, your testimony or you're worried of what people think, let me tell you this. It is not, you, no one can rob you of the experience you've had with Jesus. No one can tell you that your journey, your story, how you encountered him is rubbish. It is real. It is real for you. You would have come to know him through that. So, those are the three things that I am currently practicing. The first one, if we go back, hindsight, looking back, checking, hey, what has God done in my life so that when I look forward, I can still see his goodness and know that he is visible. The second thing, celebrating the small things, not just the big things. When we celebrate those small things, we develop a great habit. And then the last one, that we would have this attitude of celebration whenever we can because it would invite curiosity. It would go further, it would go further than who we are as a people. And I believe to tie all these things up, if we want to really do this and try to celebrate well, we have to intentionally choose to celebrate. Like, it's not, it's not going to just fall in our lap. We have to work, as, work at this. That's why it's a practice. That's why it's a discipline. And you're going to reach a spot where every moment, every decision, you have an opportunity, you, you walk, you become to a fork in the road, and you get, you're going to choose whether you're going to celebrate or you're going to choose whether you don't celebrate. And you can walk down the trail of non-celebration, and you can say, hey, I'm cynical. No, God, uh, you don't like me. You don't care about me. I'm suffering. Like, you're not good. You're invisible. We can walk down that road. Or we can walk, and we can take the other route, where God's waiting for us, wants to take our hand on this journey, and wants to actually engage with us, and we get to celebrate every moment with Him. We can choose, hey, God, what happened here? It's not a coincidence. God, you did this. I'm going to celebrate you. I'm going to celebrate you. Every moment, every moment marked, you celebrate him over and over and over again. And scientifically, if we continue to do that, we'll build a habit over 21 days. And then we'll be celebrating all the time. And that moves us to a closer picture of what I think heaven looks like, where we're just celebrating Jesus all the time. And imagine if we could be doing that now, how incredible that would be. Hey? Sure. I'm going to ask you guys to stand because I want to I pray for you, almost like a commissioning and like that you would be able to celebrate because I believe we can do this for ourselves. But man, if we can do it to reach other people and bring people into the family, into the kingdom where it's a forever party and we can celebrate, like why would we want them to miss out on that? Hey, so why don't you bow your heads with me? I want to pray over you.